this past Sunday, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And we were talking about some things that, um, well, you all tell me. What are some things that you remember from our conversation on Sunday about the Holy Spirit? This is really shaky ground to see if you remember anything. So, help me out. Holy Spirit gives us instructions. You can look at your notes. You can cheat. There's liberty with the Holy Spirit. And that word, not like Statue of Liberty, Liberty, but freedom from bondage, where we were enslaved, we were in sin. Uh, now we are slaves of righteousness, and we are free to be what God created us to be initially. Liberty. Awesome. What else? I think he gives us the power to be witnesses. And that corresponds with what we talked about last week. Anybody remember the verse from last week that we were like, okay, we need to think about this. We need to see how this... Acts 1.8. Awesome. We got the reference. Anybody remember what the verse is? Yeah. Awesome. Acts 1.8. You'll receive power. Power for what? To be witnesses. Power to be witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And last week we ended with, um, last Wednesday, we ended with some conversations about um, Acts chapter 1. This is kind of the thing that we went through. We were baptized. Jesus told them to, be, to wait to be baptized when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They would be baptized in order to be witnesses. And then we said, witnesses of what? The gospel. And so we jumped to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it outlines what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't. Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried. He rose again according, on the third day according to Scripture. And he ascended. He appeared to many witnesses, and then he ascended. It's first priority. It's the most important thing. It's the thing that all of us should remember, talk, to, talk about, talk about to each other. We should be gospel-celebrating people. Well, then we turn the corner to Acts chapter 2. Tonight, we're going to focus, for those of you that are not doing the Acts Challenge, one, number one, why are you not? If you're new here tonight, we would love to invite you to do that. Um, but tonight, we're going to focus on Acts chapter 2, verses 12 to 21. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get going. Um, we have some extra Bibles in the back if, if you didn't bring yours with you. Let's go. Father, we thank you so much for... Lord, just for a faith family, a community of believers, um, Lord, that wants to know you through your word. Lord, we ask tonight, one, I thank God for the people that are here. I ask that you would fill them up to a knowledge of you that is in accordance with wisdom and understanding. Lord, as we talk about your word, Lord, that you would renew their minds, that you would allow them to train themselves for righteousness Father, that you would allow them to press in to know you. Lord, we recognize that it's only through knowing you that true transformation takes place. Lord, help tonight not to be about a set of rules or conduct or standards or anything like that, but help us to illuminate and raise high the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you tonight and we, we so recognize that we are in need that we have nothing to bring to you. But Father, you in your sovereignty have given us the grace of God to sustain us, 
to restrain us from sin and to bring us into a body of believers where we can press on, we can know you, we can excel still more in what we've already got, and we can take seriously the mission for which Jesus came, died, and rose again to seek and save those who are lost and to be disciple makers. Father, awaken us to the reality that you've called us to be disciple makers above all else. Awaken us to the reality that the cross and following after Jesus means self-denial, that we deny ourselves, our wants, our pleasures, our dreams, our desires, everything about us is crucified and you through the Spirit of God, live your life through us. God, that's awesome. We ask that you would do that tonight as we unpack your word. We ask that you would be pleased. We ask that you would shake us in the way in which you shook the foundations of the apostles and the early believers. There must be something more than what we're doing, Lord, and we want it. And so we look to your word, we look to your spirit to accomplish it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. Somebody tell me, please, in Acts chapter 2, what's going on in the first part of the chapter? Acts chapter 2. Something about the Holy Spirit. What about him? It's Pentecost, okay? Might not know what that means yet. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them, okay? Let's look, actually, I told you we're going to be in verse uh, 11, but go back to the previous verses. What are some of the things that are happening when the Holy Spirit comes upon them? Okay, of course, that's where we started. Speaking in tongues. What else? Violent rushing wind, a mighty wind. What? They preached the gospel. Tongues of fire. I mean, this is some freaky stuff, y'all. Imagine us sitting here praying. Jesus has told us something. Hey, remember chapter one, go here, wait here, don't leave. Wait for the promise that the Father promised a long time ago. Wait here, pray for it, pray for it earnestly, and then wait for it some more. So these guys are waiting, they're praying. They're praying. Maybe nothing happens. I don't know. You don't want to read too far into it, but maybe somebody's like, "What is something going to happen? They pray. They pray. And then some tongues of fire appear over their heads. That's weird. What else happens? We start speaking in unknown languages that are not our native tongue, that we're not familiar with. Was that Swahili you spoke? Okay, the people in the crowd, where do you see that, Nari? Verse 9 through 12, we got all these Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. And this all goes back to verse 1. What's going on? What's the occasion? What's happening? It's Pentecost. And we're going to get into that in a second of what that means. But Pentecost was one of the seven feasts of Israel where basically everybody who was far off had to come back in. And they had to do something while they were in Jerusalem. So there's all these people that are Jews, but they might speak a little bit of a different language. There's also a bunch of Gentiles that are in Jerusalem, hanging out, chilling, 
Holy Spirit comes, and then they're hearing their own native language. All of these people groups that are on here. Very strange, very odd, very weird. What else happens? What? The people ask if they're drunk. What would they ask if they're drunk in the middle of the day? Okay? Maybe not even dancing around. What are they doing? Talking funky in different languages that maybe they haven't heard. Some strange things are going on, right? Everybody's like really nervous because we're talking about this. Look at verse 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? What's going on here? But others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. And this is the text we're going to spend some time in tonight. Men of Judah... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Then he quotes Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood, fire, uh, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed in, through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And he continues and continues, and what's Peter share with them? The gospel, and we're going to unpack that in a second, okay? Now, do me a favor, um, now that a lot of people, several people are, are in the room, Get in a group of about four or five people, okay? Get in a group of about four or five people now. Go for it. If you're new here, it might be a little bit awkward for you. It's okay. We keep the, the stalkers in the back and unleash them at the end. It would be brilliant, by the way, if you actually have four or five people. Any more than that, and then you've got some wallflowers. Any less than that, and you just get sick of hearing each other talk. Wait for it. So there's like 18 groups of three. Some groups of three might need to disband. And Nice. Way to go, Andrea. Brilliant. There's still a group of three, group of three. I don't know. Yes, we have college degrees, some of us, and one plus one plus one. 
Oh, that explains. Okay, now what I want you to do in your group, okay, I want you to talk about, make sure first of all that there's someone in your group that has done the Axe Challenge this week. Don't look at me, I don't know. Look at the people in your group, have that conversation. If not, we might need to shift to where actually one or two people that have done it, since we are going to talk about it, uh, are actually in the group. So I won't call you out and say, hey, if you haven't done it, you need to own up to it and move. Uh, why don't we have some people that have done it, maybe move around the room, check it out. No one? Bueller? Bueller? Okay. Awesome. I am done with that. I tried my best. Okay. Now, now that we've looked at what happened on the day of Pentecost, what I want you to do in your group is I want one or two people to tell me how this relates with what you saw in Acts chapter 1. How does what happened in Acts chapter 2, the first verse 1 through, I guess, about verse 11, how does that fit with what we looked at and what we talked about last week with Acts chapter 1? Okay? You might need to look at Acts chapter 1 for a second. That's okay. Maybe Acts chapter 1 verse 5 to give you the Cliff Notes version, and then I want you to talk about it in your group, okay? This will be where we insert conversation. Go. Do you have it hooked up on your phone? Awesome. Can I just have your phone? Does that work? Yeah, you can do it on me. I know, but I don't have the keynote thing. Okay. You're awesome, Kevin. Am I going to run your battery out? Brilliant. Are we, are, we, are we still working? Are we still talking about it? Or are we, we got the basic gist? Basic gist, okay. What happened? How, does, how do they relate? Awesome. Acts 1-5, wait here. John baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, Boom. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
You'll receive power to be my witnesses. Power to be witnesses in Jerusalem first, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. What's Peter immediately start to do? Preach the gospel, right? Brilliance. Now, what I want you to do is, um, we'll go to the next thing. I want you to look up in your group two of these, okay? Choose two. Look up two of them in your group. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, and John 1.11. Who's looking up Matthew 3.11? Brilliant. Kathy, why don't you say Matthew 3.11 for us? Awesome. John the Baptist, before Jesus' ministry starts, his public ministry, John the Baptist says, I'm going to baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, this is in each gospel. Somebody read Mark 1.8 for us. Go ahead, Alex. Awesome. Luke 3.16. Go for it, Chad. Awesome. And then finally, John 1, verse 11. Somebody read that for us. Keep reading. Awesome. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So Jesus, before he even got on the scene, before he was going around healing everybody, John the Baptist said, I'm going to baptize you for repentance, but one is coming that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do we see that in Acts chapter 2? Do we see how in Acts chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, all up in there, that Jesus is the one commanding the disciples through the Holy Spirit. Do we remember that from last week? Okay, now, who is this for? Who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? Those of you who did your Acts deal, who's it for? Let's answer this question. Was it just for these 12 apostles? What in the text lets you know it was not just for the 12 apostles? Okay, find it for me. Give me a reference. Let's talk about it. 2.39. Everybody take your attention there. Chapter 2, verse 39. I'll read it for us. For the promise, we, we get that the promise was the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's going to be a big deal later on in the book of Acts. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Who's the promise for? The children, but he clarifies not just for everybody, but at the end, what's the last phrase? 
those who God calls. Okay, interesting. Let's look at a couple of other things related to this. Um, somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Excellent. In this chapter 2, who's being baptized with the Holy Spirit? The Jews. But according to 1 Corinthians, Will, what is the result for, is it just for apostles, just for Jews? Read that again for us, Will. If the Holy Spirit, if you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into that in a few minutes, it means that there is one Spirit. You are baptized not just as an individual, but what does this say that you are baptized into? One body. Not an individual thing of, oh yeah, I've been baptized, but an individual of, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We're going to unpack that in a few minutes as well. Okay? Um, within your group, turn, um, one person in your group, turn to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And another person in your group, turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2. What does this mean for a believer? If we are a child of God, what does it mean for a believer to have the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 1, verse 13. Someone in your group Read that, and then you as a group try to unpack that for a second. Okay, so if you are a believer, if you are a believer, walk me through this text. What's the, what's the first two words? In Him, okay, what's that mean? 
Who's the him? Okay, in Christ, what? You also... What's the progression here? After listening or hearing, what else? And not only listening and hearing, uh, my translation says the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So after hearing the message of truth, the gospel, which we talked about last week, which we unpacked for 12 weeks, after hearing the gospel and, okay, hearing is in past tense, believing is past tense with continued action, you believe, you believe now, you'll believe 10 minutes from now, you believed five minutes ago. There's this progression, having believed, so you heard the gospel, you've believed the gospel, and then what's the next thing? You were sealed, where? In Christ. Okay, that's a little weird. Keep looking. Sealed in Him with what? With the Holy Spirit of promise. And then that next verse tells you a little bit about it. The Holy Spirit of promise, who, Spirit, is given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Okay, so look at the progression again. If you are a believer in this room tonight, and we don't assume that everyone is, what has happened for you in your timeline of the Christian walk? Look at verse 13. You heard the message of truth, otherwise known as the gospel, not only have you heard it, you have put all of faith, belief, firm conviction in the message of the gospel. When that happens, what happens with the Holy Spirit? You are sealed. The Holy Spirit is in you, and it's this thing of it is sealed on the top of your head. It is not going to go away, it stays. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit until when? Verse 14. Yeah, a pledge of our inheritance, down payment, and in view of the redemption, you are now God's possession. And He makes it known by the Holy Spirit who lives and indwells inside of you as a believer. Okay, so gospel, believed, sealed until the day of redemption. You are now not your own. You are the inheritance, the possession of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Pretty cool. All right, jump over to chapter 2. Um, real, what's the word? Kind of in there, in between. Um, so, in the back of your mind, you might be asking this question, well, are there some believers who have the Holy Spirit and other believers who don't have the Holy Spirit? In your group, talk about it. 
some believers who have the Holy Spirit and then others who don't. And maybe 10 years later, they, they got the Holy Spirit. I got the ghost. Is that how it works? Tell me about it. Use the text. Uh, right now, we're still talking about Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. Sorry. That's the in-between statement. Appendix A. Okay, maybe this will help answer some of the questions. Go to Ephesians 2. Did you turn the page? Ephesians 2, look at verse 11. Okay? Um, before this, he's talking about works. He's talking about the law. He's talking about grace. He's talking about you are Christ's, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. If you ever study the book of Ephesians... That little phrase, in him or in Christ Jesus, man, if you're having an identity crisis about who you are in Christ, you need to study Ephesians and just mark that word, in him, and see all that is yours if you are in him. In him, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, as a result, this is what you were created for, good works. In Christ Jesus. As a result of that, you need to remember some things. Remember that formally, you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, all of verse 11 is saying, you Gentiles who were not Jews. And it was pointed out by the Jews that you were not Gentiles. Look at verse 12. Remember key phrase being remember, that you at the time, you were at that time, what? Okay, now remember our timeline up here, okay? The word of truth, the gospel came, they heard it, they believed it, and I like this conversation you were having, Nairi, about believe, if someone just says they believe, it's not enough. It's got to be belief, where they believe and it transforms they believe it, and then they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now we go pre all of this timeline right here, and we're going to talk about before Christ, before the cross, before the gospel. Look at some of the things that it says about you and me before we came to know Christ. What's the first one? What? We were alienated, or what's, what's another translation that you have in the room? Strangers, 
you were, Christ was so foreign to you and there was a barrier between you and Christ before you heard the gospel. What's the next thing it says? Eh? What? Having no hope, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Okay, let's unpack that phrase right here. Before all of this, before the gospel, before belief, before the Holy Spirit, before Christ, what's it say about you if you are now a believer? Or what's it say about those individuals that are in the room that do not wholeheartedly believe the gospel, haven't put all the chips on the table as far as the gospel is concerned? And what's it say about everyone out there who is not here tonight and who is separate from Christ? What's it say right there about them? No hope. What's that mean? What's it mean if a situation is hopeless? Okay, nothing positive. Yeah. Waste of time. Pointless. No hope. Negative outcome. You are in the hospital. You are taken there because you have some stuff going on and you want to find out about it. Your physician says you need to go to the hospital. You go to the hospital and you get a diagnosis of cancer, terminal cancer. No hope. What's that mean? There is an outcome. Death is certain. Escape, you will not. What were you saying, Randy? Final. Hopeless. If we really, as a community of believers, got that the people out there or the people that were in our group that are still skeptical, still wrestling with the gospel. The, the Holy Spirit is still wooing them. And we know that the Holy Spirit is still wooing them because they're still here. They haven't just turned away. They're still here. They're still hearing the gospel. The Holy Spirit is still working within them in their lives. What's their reality? What it, would it mean for us as a community, a faith family to get that they are without hope? What would be different with us? Not with them, but with us. The level of urgency? What do you say that, Alex? Hmm. You'd be a lot more motivated to find them, to help them. Let's keep reading and see what else it says. But, this is one of those like big, monumental, earth-shattering contrasts in Scripture. 
you were like this, but what? Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were. Help me out with some verb stuff here. What's, what's it mean if I say were? Past tense. Not I am right now, but past tense, I was this. You were what? Yeah, and you're like, okay, I got that. I have no hope, strangers. Like, do you see how Paul is like, hello, you were this, you were this, you were this, you were this. Just in case you missed it, you were this. Without God, no hope, all those things. You were far off, having been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. Now, what's that have to do with you've heard the gospel, you've believed or received the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is now in you. What's the blood of Christ have to do with any of that? The sacrifice. Okay. What about it? The sacrifice makes it possible. What's that have to do with the gospel? Okay. But what does that have to do with the gospel and the blood of Christ? That's the question. What do these have to do with each other? It is the gospel. That Jesus died, according to scriptures, for your sins. And he was buried. And he rose again. And gives you the ability to have the Holy Spirit within you. Okay, so let's keep going. The blood of Christ, verse 14, for he, Christ, is our, what? Our peace. If we did it, if we have peace now with the gospel, what's that mean pre-Christ? What's the opposite of peace? War. Enmity. Began in Genesis chapter 3. We had war with God because of sin. Because Adam sinned, it transferred. We now are sin biologically, by choice, all around. Okay? For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, Jew-Gentile. Made them into one broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity or the war, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing what? Peace. And might reconcile, bring them back together, both to one body, to God, through the cross, through the gospel, by it having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through Jesus, through him, we both have our access. How do we have access to God through Jesus? In one spirit to the Father. So then, because of this access that we now have as believers, we have the gospel, we've believed the gospel, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, where we were at enmity with each other and with God, we now have access to God through the Holy Spirit. Look at what else it says right here. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, in Jesus, the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are now being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So this is the picture that Paul is painting here. This baptism Holy Spirit thing that happens when you become a believer, it's not just for you. Who else is it for? For the body. For when the baptism of the Spirit happens for you, when you become a believer, you are now a stone. Kind of weird. You are a stone that is being built and being used for a dwelling of God. Where if Lone Ranger Christian over here is just a stone, if he comes and becomes a part of a community, and another person comes and is a part of this community, the Holy Spirit works in that, and they are a dwelling of God together. One body. Not Jew and Gentile. Not male and female, Paul says in other places. Not slave or free man, but the cross is level ground for everybody. If you're white from Dallas, Texas, or if you're African American from Tanzania. If you're Indian and Hindu and you become a believer, the cross is level ground. Do we get that? We understand that? Okay? Now... Let's continue. What in the world does this have to do with Acts chapter 2? Real quick before we turn back, what gives you access to the Father? The Holy Spirit. Verse 22, what's that tell you about your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 22. Somebody read it for us. Of Ephesians 2. Through or by the Holy Spirit, we are being built into this dwelling. Now, we don't have time to go into the history of this word dwelling, but it's a pretty big deal where in the Old Testament, God wanted to dwell among His people. You may have heard of the tabernacle. You may have heard of the temple. God dwelling among His people. Well, now, this is not the dwelling of God. The church, first Eulis, Whatever church is not the dwelling of God. What's the dwelling of God? Me, you, chilling together tonight. If we were in Pam and Greg's house, we would be the dwelling of God. Do you get that? Okay, let's keep going. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Gosh, I talk too much. We'll skip that. Skip that. I got to tell you this real quick. The promise was given and fulfilled on what day? The day of Pentecost. Does anybody know anything about the day of Pentecost? No, because we're not Jews, right? We don't know a whole lot about it. I was telling you this a little bit earlier. There are seven feasts in the calendar year of Israel, okay? You might know some of them. Uh, Passover. You know about Passover, right? What happened with Passover? We talked about that a long time ago. Exodus 12. Get a lamb, it's got to be this kind of lamb, this kind of lamb, not this kind of lamb. Slaughter the lamb at this time, put the blood on the doorposts, and that God will pass over the house and not bring judgment to this house. 
Okay, so that's a foreshadowing of Christ. How? Well, if you believe the blood of the cross is put over your house and death will pass over you. We get that? So all of these feasts have an imagery of what it was about to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, so the day of Pentecost... um, Well, let me tell you about two feasts, okay? Look at, somebody read Acts 2, verses 1 and 2 for me, please, real loudly. Excellent. On the day of Pentecost, okay? So, Passover, you know with Jesus in the story of the gospel that a lot of stuff happened on the Passover, right? The upper room, when Jesus is passing the cup and the, um, the bread, this is my body, this is, that was Passover. You get that, right? Okay. Another feast that was right in there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they celebrated, which was to signify get rid of all the sin. People would go around, all these crazy Martha Stewart ladies back in Jewish times, would go all through their house, they would get all of the leaven, the little agent that's in bread that makes it poof, rise up, They would go through the house, under the bed, all throughout it. Number says, go under the bed, go in the closet, go everywhere, find the leaven, get rid of it. Picture of after Christ died on the cross, we are to get rid of the sin in our lives. That the leaven, a little bit of leaven, spoils the whole lump. That's what it says. Get rid of the sin. That's another one of the feasts. The next one is the one I want to focus on for a second. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. Okay, the Feast of First Fruits. When the harvest came, you can read about this in Leviticus if you want to. When the harvest came, what they would do is they would take the first fruits of the harvest, okay, first fruits of the grain, and the priest out in the tabernacle would take two pieces of the grain and would wave it in a wave offering before the Lord. Kind of weird, right? Very strange, okay? Several days later, or 50 days later, actually, what would happen is there would be the Feast of Pentecost. Same guy, same priest would come out. He would take two loaves of bread. What do you think he did with them? Wed them around like he just don't care. And he would do this thing symbolizing, God, you have brought forth what you promised. You have given us this little bit, first fruits. Now you have completed it. Okay? Bread. Interesting. So all of Israel would come for this feast where they would celebrate that God had fulfilled what he had promised. Feast of first fruits around the time that Jesus rose from the dead. First fruits from the dead is what Jesus is called. Pretty cool. Because he's the first fruit from the dead, we then have this hope that does not disappoint that we will raise from the dead. Okay, So then, on the Feast of Pentecost, what God has promised has been fulfilled. What has God promised in Acts chapter 1 and 2? The Holy Spirit. According to Ephesians chapter 2, the two, Jew and Gentile, are now becoming one. Level ground 
at the foot of the cross. If you're totally confused, just disregard the last five minutes. It's okay. We can have a conversation about it later. It's awesome. It is amazing in the book of Acts when you watch the timing because God is so specific with what he's promised long time ago to foreshadow what's happening now. It's amazing. And if you share that amazement, great. If not, we'll just move on. Okay? Look at Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> you there? Look at Peter's comments. Okay, we got Joel chapter 2, right? Look at where he's talking about Joel chapter 2. What's the repeated phrase that he says once or twice? Well, if it's repeated, it's more than once. What's he say more than once there? I'll pour out my spirit. As inductive thinkers, we ask, when? When is this going to happen? In the last days. What do you think about that? When we think of last days, what do you think of? The rapture, Armageddon, fire, brimstone, 2012, <laughs> asteroids, whatever, right? Destruction. Um, would you, I don't want to open a firestorm of this, but uh, would you say that we're living in the last days? Some say, some maybe not. Uh, those of you who think we're living in the last days, give me a one-sentence reason why. Yeah. Brilliant. Somebody jump over to uh, the book of Hebrews. Not everybody. Stay in Acts. Give me one person. Wait for it. Who's going to do it? Go ahead, Will. Hebrews chapter 1. Read verses 1 and 2 for us rather loudly. Excellent. According to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, when did the last days begin? Yes, that's a generic answer. Long time ago. God, who spoke long ago through the prophets, has now spoken to us in these last days through his son, Jesus. When the last days start. When Jesus showed up on the scene, last days. Okay, so from that point all the way forward, what are we dealing with? Yeah, Acts chapter 2, he's going to pour out his spirit. Now, not all of those things have happened yet. The sky has not turned to blood, has it? Or the moon, which is it? Yeah, which we can get into all that later if you want to ask me about it, but nobody else wants to, so let's keep going. Okay, now... Here's the kicker question. From what you saw in John, those of you who studied this week, from what you saw about the Holy Spirit in the book of John, what does it mean and what does it not mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? If you have your stuff with you, um, let me give you some of these references um, in fact, why don't we have several groups look these up? This group right here, turn to John 7 and look at John 7, 37 to 39. Uh, give me another group. You, right here. John 14, 16 to 18. 
Um, guys back here, John 14, 25, and 26. You all over here, and you all over here. John 15, 26, and 27. Um, everybody over here, if I haven't gotten to you yet, John 16, 7 through 15. What we're asking is, what does it say about the Holy Spirit? And this is, these are all Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, just in case you're confused. We good? Still checking? Checking it out? Okay, John 14, 16 crew. Tell us some things that it says. I don't remember who you are, so. John 14, 16. Oh, ooh, that's me. Go ahead. It's a better deal. I'm going to die and then go back to heaven. Yeah. Awesome. Do you remember what he's called there, what the Spirit's called? The helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and strengthens. Pretty cool. Uh, John 15, 26. I'll come back to the other John 14. John 15, 26. Real briefly. Yeah, so not only is he helper come alongside you, not only is it better, but he's going to be the teacher. The resident teacher teach you all things. Not like math book guy and Albert Einstein, if you're in science there, you're having a conversation with them, but teacher inside of you leading you into truth. Pretty cool. John 14, 25, and 26. Who was that? Oh, that was them. Who was John 15? Oh, my gosh. Anybody John 15 in here? Y'all were? Who was John 14, 25 and 26? Oh my gosh, let me read it. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Right? Yeah. John 16, who was that? What did it say? Nice. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Look at uh, verse 9 right there. Or 8. What's he going to do? 8, 9, and 10, Joel. He's going to convict the world concerning sin. So if you are a child of God tonight, how did you become a child of God? Well, the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin. He's going to come into the world convicted of sin and what else? righteousness. Here's sin. Here's what righteousness looks like. If you're a child of God and you are growing in righteousness, where's that coming from? Well, I'm just a really good Christian and do everything right. No. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and causes you to become more like Christ. Last thing, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment's coming. He convicts of that. Excellent. Now, everybody go back to John 7, and this is where we're going to close tonight. John 7. John 7, verse 37. If this was yours in the group, I apologize for stealing your thunder. 
Now on the last day, another one of these feasts, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, he who believes in me, as scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's a little strange, a little weird, but this, John gives us some clues, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom, he, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, yeah, we got that, we did Acts 1 and 2, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not died, buried, rose again, went up to be in heaven. How does the Spirit come according to John 7? Those who believe. From the context of the whole counsel of God's Word, the things that we've looked, what are they believing? The gospel. Therefore, if, again, big if statement, if you are a child of God, you have heard the gospel, the message of the truth, what else have you done? You've received or believed it, and if those two have happened, which we know from John 14 and 16, that the Holy Spirit was really the one wooing you, convincing you and convicting you of sin, wooing you to salvation, then you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit of power, the Holy Spirit of witness, the Holy Spirit of testimony. Thumb back to Acts chapter 2 real quick. How does one receive the Holy Spirit? Say the word. Believe. Okay? Look at verse 37. I love it, by the way. We don't have time to get into this. I love that Peter's gospel message is like, it's not this touchy-feely like, Jesus loves you, and he just died for you, and wants you to be holy. There's none of that. You who by your hands pierced Jesus. What was the response of Peter's message? Verse 37. There were what? A little play on words for you. They were pierced, where? To the heart. And they said, what do we do? You're right. They were convinced, like, oh my word, we did this. What else? What, was the, what, was, what did they need to do? They needed to repent. Same message all the way through Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus shows up. John before Jesus. Jesus shows up. And then after Jesus goes away, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here it's repent and be baptized. Are we talking about baptism with the Holy Spirit here? No. What kind of baptism are we talking about? Yeah. Be baptized, identified with Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Do we get forgiveness of sins because we're baptized? No. We know that, right? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then jump down to verse 40. And with many others, he solemnly... What's that word? What's another word for that? Witnessed, Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my 
witnesses. He's just testified. He has the power to do it. And look at the result, verse 41, what happens. Oh, by the way, love this. Be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Today, you can accept Jesus into your heart if you walk down this aisle. Is that what he's saying? No. He's pretty intense, right? He's got some boldness. And what's the result? I almost said dessert because I'm hungry. Verse 41. Oh, don't go there yet. We always go to the Baptist. Go back to what actually happened. They received the word and... Okay, so think about it. Heard of the gospel. Received it. Holy Spirit. That was in Ephesians, right? And in Acts chapter 2, the response, they heard the gospel. Boom, bam, punch. You did this. You're a sinner. All this happened. They, their hearts were pierced. They received the word. And then they walked in obedience of baptism. And did they get the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I don't know the time frame. We can argue about that later. But what now, Baptist folk, go to the numbers. What happened? The Lord added to their number that day two. 3,000 people. Was that like a one-time deal? No, you keep going in Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Oh, and they're still praying. Verse 42 is one of my favorite verses, and we've talked about that a lot, and we need to talk about that more as we talk about community with one another. Verse 44, And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. Verse 46, read it for me. And the Lord did what? Pam opened the door. I couldn't hear you. What? The Lord continued to add to their number daily. Now, with your group, real quickly, what in the heck does this have to do with us? Why are we focusing on Acts chapter 2? And why do we, why do I, why have many of us been praying that the Lord would make us an Acts 2 community. Think of the components that are in this text. The gospel, I mean tried and true, punch in the face gospel. The Holy Spirit, prayer. And then the end, the Lord adding to their number. Community. Why are we talking about all those things? What, how are we doing with all those things? Ready? Go. Rephrase. For those of you that zoned out for a second, how are we doing as a group with this? How are you doing as an individual with this? Are you the stone over there that's not really a part of the dwelling? You haven't moved with other believers in the community? That, those are the conversations you're having right now, okay? Go. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. To close us, um, by the way, we're going to have a, a spontaneous, impromptu cookout um, tonight. Right, Pam? Yeah? She can't hear me. Amy, are we doing this spontaneous cookout? Awesome. Everything's cooked. We just had a grill out and you didn't even know. 
to all of these of you that were complaining about, man, this is going forever. We cooked you food, okay? But before we eat food, what I want to do is I want you in a group. Um, I want one or two of you to pray. Um, and, and it can be a Holy Spirit-led thing where maybe quiet for some seconds or whatever, whatever. Um, I'm going to play a song, and what I want you to do is I want you to pray, one, that God would make us this type of community of believers. And tonight what's awesome is what we're doing is we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We're looking at what the Word of God says. But I don't want it just to stop there. I don't want it to be a, I come on Sunday, I come on Wednesday. This community of believers where we're involved in each other's lives, where the Holy Spirit is doing some huge things in our faith family. I'm so happy for what God's doing, but I want the Holy Spirit to do, I want him to have the freedom if he wants to do so much more. And so what we're going to do, I want you to pray that God would do that in our community, and then I want you to have an individual prayer. And You don't have to do this out loud, but I want you to pray that God would make you a part of that, that you would be willing to own up, man up, whatever, to be part of that community, okay?